understanding of what we're getting out of the book of Hebrews from Jesus Christ is everything to faith in Jesus Christ is everything. How do you start, how do you live in that relationship with God through Jesus Christ? It is by faith. You know, we can um, have all the best intentions in the world, but even what we plan uh, can so often go bad. Uh, and um, would any of you want to rule the world? I mean, you know, we got the Tears for Fears song, Everybody Wants to Rule the World. I know about that, but uh, I don't want people to come back to me with, look at the impact of your decision because you thought it was the smart thing to do. Uh, Snapple decided that the, they were going to break a world record in 2005 and their, their intention was to provide, provide the city of New York with the largest popsicle ever made. You see it sliding off of this refrigerator truck. And, and they unloaded onto New York's Union Square a 17-and-a-half-ton popsicle. But instead of New York celebrating this, it melted in the heat of summer and covered Union Square in pink goo. The title of the article that the New York Times wrote about this event was this. A shocking thing happened to a big popsicle. It melted. In other words, what were they thinking when they were planning this? What did they think was going to happen? I don't know if uh, you might remember from 1986, but the United Way of Cleveland decided that they were going to have a fundraiser and break the world record for the largest balloon launch, simultaneous balloon launch in all of time. A previous record was set of one million balloons, and their plan was to double that with two million balloons. They thought they had the perfect idea to generate a little publicity and create a beautiful spectacle for, for the city of Cleveland and, and so many others that were watching on uh, TV. Their plan, like I said, was to release two million balloons at one time, when, and these were filled by a huge crowd of volunteers working frantically for days. Well, it turns out a storm system caused them to need to release the balloons early before the storm rolled in. And so they were only able to release one and a half million of these balloons, still breaking the world record. Uh, by the way, uh, Guinness is no longer, this is the, the permanent world record because Guinness is no longer encouraging people to do mass balloon releases to try to break the world record because of the aftermath of this um, well-intentioned plan by the United Way of Cleveland. The, the, balloon, the balloons littered the beaches of Canadian nature preserves they actually, this, this is kind of sad, uh, they were searching for two boaters that were lost on Lake Erie. And because there were so many balloons bobbing in the sea, it was useless to continue to look for these lost boaters. Um, aside from the $500,000 that the stunt cost, at least that much was paid out in lawsuit, settling lawsuits for people that were affected by this stunt that, was, of course, was, was approved by the city of Cleveland. Very often, our plans have consequences that we never calculated. 
Can you imagine what would have happened if the United Way had actually been able to release all two million of those balloons that they had planned? It, it just would have been, I guess, 30% worse, or 33.333 few math uh, math brains out there. Today we look at Hebrews 11, and I want to challenge you with this: trust God and leave your reward to Him. Trust God and leave your reward to Him. We usually bristle at the interruption of our plans. We usually sit there and say, why is it that nothing can seem to go right when something that we've planned even for quite a long time just can't seem to come together? We sometimes wonder even if God go as far as wonder as if God might even still love us when our plans go wrong or when we receive devastating news. Hopefully our minds are drawn back to the close of Romans 8, which lists off all of these things we, we would never wish on ourselves and says, basically, none of the presence of these things ever means that God no longer loves us. We look this morning at the life of faith of two men. Both their lives were cut short in different ways. The results, their rewards came differently in different packaging. Yet both of them are lifted up as being men of faith to be emulated. So we look at verses 4 through 6 of Hebrews 11. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain. Abel being, uh, Cain being the first son of our great, 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 you know, endless greats, grandparents, Adam and Eve, and Abel being their second son. Speaking of Abel, through which he was commended as righteous. Okay, let me begin here without my interruption. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death, and he was not found. Because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. First of all, and we're, and we're going to go back and, and visit what Genesis has to say about his life. But first of all, I want you to take from the testimony of Abel. I hope that you will trust the one who's worth dying for. Trust God, the one who is worth dying for. Uh, we, we can read in Genesis 4, and if you'll turn with your Bibles with me to Genesis 4. It's at the beginning. Genesis means beginnings. It's the very first book of the Old Testament. And each chapter, we, we went through Genesis uh, 1 through 12, 
uh, some years ago. It's on the, our website if you, if you want to go there and hear those messages. But, but the, book, the word Genesis means beginnings. And each chapter is the beginning of something new, of, of something different. It, and it's an explanation of why uh, it, it's the ultimate explanation of, of things that began at that time and continue on in our life today. Okay, for instance, the beginning of sin and, and why it is that it affects us today is explained in Genesis 3. But we have here in Genesis 4, we'll read together here. Now Adam knew Eve, his wife. Kids, if you want to know what that means, ask your parents when you get home. And she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. Now I actually believe, and other um, scholars, not place myself as a scholar, but other people believe as well that Eve looked at Cain at this time and thought, here's the Redeemer. Here's the one that is going to be born that is going to uh, fix this problem of sin that we brought into our life. And she was not correct, as we'll see here. And again, she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, and Cain a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought up of the first fruits of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering. Or as Hebrews 11 tells us, accepted. God accepted Abel's offering. But for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry and his face fell. The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry and why is your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. Well, Cain didn't listen to God. Because we read in verse 8, Cain spoke to his, Abel, his brother, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel, your brother? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, where, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. That's what we're told of this man of faith, Abel. That, that he had faith, that his faith led him to bring the offering that he did, and that he was killed for it. Now, let me just say, as far as Abel's offering and Cain's offering, there's a lot of different theories out there as far as why was one accepted and the other wasn't. I'm not going to solve that for you, because it really hasn't been completely solved in the thousands of years since it was written. And we're not given much more information other than Abel's offering was accepted and Cain's was not. But we're told here in our New Testament commentary, if you will, in Hebrews 11 about this situation, that Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, uh, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And th through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. You know, I can only imagine 
that there were people at this time, whether they be other brothers and sisters of Cain and Abel or Adam and Eve themselves, that might be asking, how could a good God let this bad thing happen to this good person? We hear that that question today as well. Think about it, though. This question, how could could a good God allow something bad to happen to a good person? is handled here in Genesis 4. And the answer is in Genesis 3. Because of the sin that we let into the world, the first thing that God records after this, the, the event of sin coming into the world through the choice of Adam and Eve to rebel against God is that one of their sons kills the other. The reason why bad things happen to relatively good people is because of sin. The sin that we brought into the world. Hebrews uh, 11 verse 2, if you remember from last week, shows us the point of this chapter is to show how Old Testament saints knew God. It wasn't by their good looks. It wasn't by their good works. It wasn't by their their, uh, charismatic personalities. It was by faith. We were told, for by, for by it, or by faith, the people of old received their commendation. And this word commendation we'll see over and over again in this chapter, just as we see in here, verse 4, that Abel was commended. It means that they were born witness to in themselves as having a saving faith, as having a relationship with God. The same term is used in Romans 8:16 to describe the Christians our assurance of salvation that the spirit himself bears witness with or commends with our spirit that we are children of God he was commended he was born witness to him and and his faith bears witness to us that he was had a saving relationship with God. So we learn from Hebrews 11 that Abel's offering was more acceptable to God because of his faith. Abel is the first example of it being by faith by which people of old received their commendation, as we see here in Hebrews 11. And by accepting his offering, God bore witness to Abel and to us that Abel was accepted because of his faith. And Abel's death does not mean that God did not accept him or that God did not love him. In fact, because of his faith, Abel is still a witness to what a relationship with God looks like. That it is a relationship by faith. You know, Vladimir Putin of Russia will have a legacy. He'll probably go down and he might probably doesn't mind that, like Ivan the Terrible of being black. Uh, of Putin, the terrible, Vlad, the reckless, Vladimir, the uncaring destroyer of life. In his culture, this is a positive thing. But like Abel, our lives can have an impact, can have a legacy that far outlasts our years, our pain, our sufferings for Christ. God's trust God's sovereign way trust his sovereign plan 
by faith. Trust that God's witness to us of our righteousness before him is more valuable than physical life itself. Trust that even in death, in the death of God's saints, God is still faithful to his promises. Trust that even in death, what the world sees as the greatest tragedy, our witness of faith in Christ can outlive us for God's glory. Like Abel, our lives can have an impact, a legacy that far outlasts our years. And and one of that being, as, as we are concerned about as a body of believers, is in the next generation. You know, uh, like Abel, our lives can have an impact on the next generation. We've heard from many of you, just as a side note, you know, of concern, as I've mentioned previously, of concern for our children, concern for, um, you know, they're they're learning about Jesus out in a, a mod that's getting older, that's getting a little decrepit, that we need to start thinking and praying about. How do we facilitate the education, the teaching of the next generation? And it's something that we ask you to be praying about. What should we do, Lord? And we seek his direction. But this is something that we value. This is something that is important to us. This is something that we want to be thinking about. You know, just even the simple structure of what do we provide for the teaching of the next generation. We want you to be praying about that for his understanding and his direction in that as a body. But let me go back. In Abel, the readers of this letter were reminded of one of the Old Testament saints here that all of them would have been taught about, who God declared as righteous by faith. And Abel was killed. Because of his faith. The next person of faith comes in line historically, okay? Uh, The writer is working historically from the beginning of time, uh, beginning with Abel. And and I ask myself, why are Adam and Eve not included here? Well, they saw. I would only only, uh, conclude that, that they had seen God. Abel was the first person of faith that had not. And we'll see that that uh, in our our final verse of verse six, that um, a step of faith is believing that God exists. That wasn't the step of faith for Adam and Eve, Eve that it was for Abel. But but we're we're digressing here a little bit. So the next person of faith comes along in the line historically. But I also think that he's listed here of all the people that could have been listed, because his earthly outcome of his faith, was very different than Abel's. And from the testimony of Enoch, I hope for you that you will trust the one who created you to walk with him. Trust God who created you to walk with him. We learn in verse 5, by faith, Enoch, we're going to like read who is this Enoch guy, but by faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death. And he was not found because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. 
Now, if you'll turn in your Bibles to, to Genesis 5, we can read about Enoch. Should have told you to have, keep your finger there, right? I think I heard a sigh out there of like, oh, I just closed it. Okay, so Genesis 5, verses 21 through 24 is the little blip on here that we learn about Enoch. And it's really just, yeah. So, so we can see in verse 20 that Enoch's father is Jared. It says, thus all the days of Jared were 962 years and he died. You might be like, come on, 962 years? Well, worldwide catastrophes change things, all right? And one of the things that the worldwide catastrophe of the flood changed was how long people lived. All right, I'll leave it at that. Uh, so we read in verse 18, now when Jared had lived 162 years, so we're kind of backing up in his life to talk about the coming of Enoch, he fathered Enoch. Jared lived after he fathered Enoch. Oh, I backed up too far, sorry. All right, so that tells us when Enoch was born. Verse 21 is where we're looking at. When Enoch had lived 65 years, he fathered Methuselah. Enoch walked with God after he fathered Methuselah 300 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Enoch were 365 years. Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. So Hebrews 11, as I said, is, is a New Testament commentary for us of what's going on back here in Genesis and explains, like, why does it say that he was not? And you can read where it says, By faith Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death, and he was not found because God had taken him. Now before he was taken... He was commended as having pleased God. Well, it didn't really say anything about having pleased God there. It says that he walked with God. Walking with God pleases God. So you can see up on the screen here, uh, lifetimes of this pre-flood time period. Uh, you know, you've got uh, Jared, we saw, lived over 900 years. Methuselah, you know, he's known for having lived the longest, but he really only lived... A, a few number of years more than like the second runner-up here. Methuselah being the son of Enoch. But even at 365 years old, Enoch was considered to be in the prime of his life when he was taken up by God. I'm sure that his father, Jared, that his son, Methuselah, as well as his other sons and daughters, missed him when he was taken away from them. The Old Testament references to Enoch is that, like I said, he walked with God. We know that Enoch walked with God while almost everyone on the face of the earth was in rebellion against their creator leading up to the flood. We learn from Jude 14 through 15 something that Enoch wrote. Jude 14 and 15, Jude is just one chapter, so it's verses 14 and 15 of Jude. It says, it was also these that Enoch, 
It was also about these, speaking of these, the evil people all over the earth, it was also about these that Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment on all and to convict all the ungodly of their deeds of ungodliness that they have committed in such an un- ungodly way and of all the harsh things that ungodly sinners have spoken against him. This is the the generation that covered the entire earth that Enoch lived amongst. Trust the one who created you to walk with him, even among and in the midst of an ungodly world. We learn from Hebrews 11 that Enoch, being taken by God, is associated with having pleased God. Notice the special, a little special insight here. Before he was taken, Enoch was commended, and we learned last week that it's always been by faith that saints are commended. God bearing witness to their salvation, God bearing witness to them being in a saving relationship. This means that if God had come to Enoch and said, "Enoch, you're coming to see me today." Enoch would not have been worried, am I seeing God the judge or am I seeing God my father? Because he had been commended by God as having a saving relationship with God. It's kind of where the rubber meets the road there. Thus we can understand that it's pleasing to God that we walk with him when we walk with him. And walking with the unseen God is done by faith The reward of walking with God by faith is walking with him in his physical presence. We walk with God by faith, by trusting that that here I am, God, a sinner. You know, I, I am one of those ungodly ones that Enoch wrote about. I mean, I mean, not to that degree because the Holy Spirit pulls me away from that. But here I am a sinner, God. But I recognize that Jesus paid for those sins. He can take my sins and clothe me with his righteousness. He can exchange the penalty of my sin that has been paid for, for his righteousness that I can walk in. That's what we receive when we receive a relationship with God. And guess what? It's still done the same way that Enoch did it, by faith. That's the point of the writer here with Hebrews. And keep this in mind, the reward for walking with God throughout your life, however long or short, is walking in his physical presence. It's not necessarily more years on this earth. It's a longer time with him in eternity. That's a reward, folks. Even though we treat it like, what are you doing, God? I appreciated an illustration that I read recently that Dennis Rainey would give at men's conferences. And it made me, I thought of this when we were thinking, when thinking about the idea of walking with God. He was illustrating the the importance of a father's relationship with his son and a son's relationship with his father. And he had littered all over this stage all these different traps, bear trap, badger trap, beaver trap, Fox trap. I didn't, you know, you can't believe there's so many different traps that are that are out there. But but and he had a, a young man blindfolded standing on one side of the stage. 
and his father was on the other side. And, and, and Dennis told the man, young man, start walking forward. And as he started walking forward, his father, who also had a microphone, said, stop. Wait there. And his father walked among the traps and came and spoke to him and, and you know, told him what they were going to do. And his son put his arms on his father's shoulders and his father walked him among the traps. We are called like Enoch. A relationship with God is to walk with him among the unseen spiritual traps that are around us. To read from him. Beware of this. Be about this. Don't be about this. And to trust it. To believe it. To walk by faith. Even when we can't see maybe the reason why. The relationship with God that you were created to have is one of daily walking with Him. It's a relationship of trusting Him as, as we're unable to see the spiritual traps around us. We're not intended to see them. We're intended to trust. This type of relationship requires faith and it is pleasing to God. Pleasing God or walking with God by faith doesn't necessarily extend your life on this earth. It might Cut it short. But that's just speeding up your reward. Preaching on these verses, Charles Spurgeon said this, Now if there is any man in the world that shall never die, it is he who walks with God. If there is any man to whom death will be as nothing, it is the man who has looked on the second coming of Christ and gloried in it. If there is any man who, though he pass through the iron gates of death, shall never feel the terror of the grim foe, it is a man whose life below has been perpetual communion with God. Do not go about by any other way to escape the pangs of death, but walk with God, and you will be able to say, Where, O oh death, is your victory? Where, O oh death, is your sting? Lastly, from the principles that we find in verse 3, I hope that you will trust the one who calls you to seek and to find him. Trust the one who calls you to seek and to find him. That is the life of faith. We read in verse 6, And without faith, it is impossible to please him. Remember, Enoch pleased God by walking with God. Without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Remember that Abel was judged, his offering was judged as pleasing to God because it was by faith. Even though Abel had never seen this God that exists, that his mom and dad had told him about. Pleasing God, walking with him is impossible without faith, which involves belief in his existence and his reward of those who seek him. 
That's what we're told here. These are some of the biggest principles that are our guide for walking with God by faith. We learn that pleasing God involves these elements of faith as a foundation of our obedience. And we'll read in Hebrews 13 verse 16. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Can you see how this is coming together for the readers of this letter? These Hebrews that watch the sacrifices going on in the temple. And they're being told no sacrifice remains because Christ is the final sacrifice. And they're sitting there wondering, um, but those sacrifices are still going on. And I'm really starting to wonder, is it possible that God might be upset with me because I'm not getting involved in those sacrifices? They're saying, no, those sacrifices mean nothing because Christ's sacrifice, the final sacrifice, has been made. They don't need the temple because Jesus has secured their access to God themselves. They come to him by faith in Jesus' person and in Jesus' work, and they are now able to make new sacrifices, new sacrifices to God which please him as their Old Testament kinsmen did. But these are done in faith, believing that God, that the God and his system of grace through faith, he receives those offerings. So they're told about offerings like do good and share what you have. For such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Simple acts of love among Brothers and sisters in Christ take on the significance of the, the, the offering of Abel. They please God. Trust the one who created you to walk with him. Also, the ultimate goal that we, that we would draw near to God, that's the ultimate goal of Christ's saving work. Recall how this has been the central theme throughout this letter. Recall from Hebrews 4, verse 14. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. And then he says in verse 16, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. The, whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. And we draw near to him through Christ. We're told about the impact of the work of Christ just as we learned about shortly, short time ago in Hebrews 10, verses 19 through 22. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near. Let us draw near. We were told back in Hebrews 7, verse 25, that Christ is able to save to the uttermost, those who draw near to God through him. Since he always lives to make intercession for them. 
What if I told you that if you draw near to God, believing that he exists and looking to him for your reward, that he will reward you with being closer to him, would you be disappointed? Would you be thinking, whoa, I thought maybe there'd be some riches. I thought maybe it'd be a longer life. I thought maybe if I drew near to God, he'd make my children trust him and and walk with him. Our reward is a closer walk with him personally. Or as F.F. Bruce says, the reward desired by those who seek him is the joy of finding him. He himself proves to be their exceeding joy. You know, there are those that are carnal in their Christianity. Carnal meaning flesh. And, and they need to wonder if they truly know Christ themselves. The greatest concerns are things of the flesh. That's why it's carnal. Things of this world, comforts, indulgences of the flesh. A relationship with God is just like their fire insurance policy. Okay, I've got my eternity taken care of. I can put that in a, in a, in a drawer and, and put it away and, make, and see that I've got that handled. You might have a sad conversation with this person as you ask them, but why is this going on in your life? And their response might be, don't worry, I still believe in God. I still, I still believe. Typically, the person who has to tell you, don't worry, I still believe in God, isn't seeking him, isn't drawing near to him. They might believe that he exists, but he rewards those who draw near through Christ, believing that he exists and seeking him. For this person, their interest in God often has to do with what physical blessings they think that he can bring to them. This person is in a very dangerous position. And I would agree with John Piper who said, if you look forward to heaven because of all the physical blessings that might be yours when you get there, you might not be on your way to heaven. Seek the Lord as the real creator of the universe who created you to walk with him. Seek him in the person and work of Christ because it pleases him. Find your great reward through living in relationship with him by faith and one day by sight when you see him standing in his presence. You know, a man was learning English, and he was reading the Bible, and he was singing the songs, and he decided to go on a quest to find the meaning of ye. What's the meaning of ye? Because all he'd been hearing is, seek ye first, or seek and ye shall find. Where's this ye everybody's talking about? Well, of course... We know that when we're told, seek ye first, be you, listen, seek God first. Seek God's will first in every decision. Seek God's will first in everything that you do. Seek God and you 
will find him. Are you only seeking him because, uh, uh, are you only seeking him between the distractions of your phone or the news reports? I can be guilty of that. I'll tell you that. Are you seeking him through the person and work of Christ or in your own power and what you think is your own righteousness? Are you seeking him, trusting that he is in control, that he is great enough for anything that you might face, anything that the world might face? He is good enough to love you through anything that you might face. Are you seeking him, looking to him for meaning and direction before other sources? Are you seeking him until you find him? Lingering at his throne until he grants the peace, the understanding, the fresh filling of his spirit that you need. This is an important theme of the practice of pleasing our Lord and being rewarded with greater joy in him. I learned a little bit more about Corey Ten Boom this week. And, and before, I, before I get to, to that, she had a neat illustration that she would use. I want to remind you that God's reward comes in different wrapping from one saint to another. In fact, I'd say that most often his reward comes in the unexpected or even unwanted wrapping that it comes in. Remember that both of these men, Abel and Enoch, pleased God. Both of these men walked with him. Yet Abel died violently and Enoch was taken up. Uh, Kelly and I have had a, an experience with this recently with, with an aunt that passed away. This, this aunt loves Jesus. She loved Jesus on this earth, and she is loving him right now in his presence. She was close to 80 years old. Her, her lung was full of a cancerous tumor. And what grieved us the most for her was that her daughters were angrily grieving, wondering why God wasn't answering their prayers to prolong her life. Well, so many of you, as I've heard you said, he did heal her. He gave her the best healing in the universe. He rewarded her with the closer walk with him in his very physical presence. The truth is that God was his plans was to reward his dear saint with his very physical presence. And this is how Corrie Tin Boone would, would illustrate this when she would speak. She would show uh, um, an embroidery that was just a mess of, of yarn, just a mess of string that she would look at and you'd wonder, what in the world, uh, how is this a piece of artwork in any way? And then she would flip it around and reveal what was on the other side. The crown that had been embroidered. Out of one side, it was just a jumbled bunch of threads. Through Trusting God for our reward involves trusting him about the wrapping that our reward will come in. And recognizing that we only see one side of it at this time. 
Just a quote from Corrie ten Boom. A poem that she liked to quote. My life is like a weaving between my God and me. I do not choose the colors that he works steadily. Oftentimes he weaves in sorrow and I with foolish pride forget he sees the upper and I the underside. Not till the loom is silent and the shuttle cease to fly will God unroll the canvas and explain the reason why. The dark threads are as needful in the skillful weaver's hand as the strands of gold and silver and the pattern he has planned. Let's bow our heads.